Section 48 of London Labour and the London Poor, Volume 2, by Henry Mayhew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gillian Hendry. Of the Cleansing of the Streets by Pauper Labour. Continued. The mode of working as regards the use of the implements and the manual labour is generally the same among the pauper scavengers, as I have described in connection with the scavengers generally. The consideration of what is the rate of parish pay to the poor who are employed as scavengers is complicated by the different modes in which the employment is carried out, for as we see there is, first, the scavenging labour by workhouse inmates, without any payment beyond the cost of maintenance and clothing. Second, the short or three days a week labour, with or without relief in the bestowal of bread. And third, the six days work weekly, with a money wage and no bread, nor anything in the form of payment in kind or of relief. Let me begin with the first system of labour above mentioned, namely the employment of the indoor paupers without wages of any kind, their food, lodging and clothing being considered as equivalents for their work. The principal evil in connection with this form of parish work is its compulsory character. The men regarding it not as so much work given in exchange for such and such comforts, but as something exacted from them. And, to tell the truth, it is precisely the counterpart of slavery, being equally deficient in all inducement to toil, and consequently requiring almost the same system of compulsion and supervision in order to keep the men at their labour. All interest in the work is destroyed, there being no reward connected with it, and consequently the same organised system of setting to work is required as with cattle. There are but two inducements to voluntary action, pain to be avoided or pleasure to be derived or in other words, the attractiveness and repulsiveness of objects. Take away the pecuniary attraction of labour, and men become mere beasts of burden, capable of being set to work only by the dread of some punishment. Hence the system of parish labour, which has no reward directly connected with it, must necessarily be tyrannical, and so tend to induce idleness and a hatred of work altogether. Of the different forms of pauper work, street sweeping is, I am inclined to believe, the most unpopular of all among the poor. The scavenging is generally done in the workhouse dress, and that to all except the hardened paupers, and sometimes even to them, is highly distasteful. Neither have such labourers, as I have said, the incentive of that hope of the reward, which, however diminutive, still tends to sweeten the most repulsive labour. I am informed by an experienced gangsman under a contractor that it is notorious that the workhouse hands are the least industrious scavengers in the streets. They don't sweep as well, he said, and don't go about it like regular men. They take it quite easy. It is often asserted that this labour of the workhouse men is applied as a test, but this opinion seems rather to bear on the past than the present. One man thus employed gave me the following account. He was garrulous, but not communicative, as is frequently the case with men who love to hear themselves talk, and are not very often able to command listeners. He was healthy-looking enough, 
but he told me he was, or had been, delicate. He querulously objected to be questioned about his youth, or the reason of his being a pauper, but seemed to be abounding in workhouse stories and workhouse grievances. Street sweeping, he said, degrades a man, and if a man's poor, he hasn't no call to be degraded. Why can't they set the thieves and pickpockets to sweep? They could be watched easy enough. There's always idle fellers as reckons theirselves real gents, as can be got for watching and sitch easy jobs, for they gets as much for them as three men's paid for hard work in a week. I never was in a prison, but I've heard that people there is better fed and better cared for than in workhouses. What's the meaning of that, sir, I'd like for to know? You can't tell me, but I can tell you. The workhouses made as ugly as it can be, that poor people may be got to leave it, and chance dying in the street rather. Here the man indulged in a gabbled detail of a series of pauper grievances, which I had a difficulty in diverting or interrupting. On my asking if the other paupers had the same opinion as to street sweeping as he had, he replied, To be sure they has. All them that has sense to have opinion at all has. There's not two sides to it anyhow. No, I don't want to be kept and do nothing. I want proper work. And by the rights of it, I might as well be kept with nothing to do as blank or blank. Note parish officials. End note. Have they nothing to do, I asked? Nothing but to make mischief and get what ought to go to the poor. It's salaries and such like as swallows the rates, and that's what every poor family knows as knows anything. Did I ever like my work better? Certainly not. Do I take any pains with it? Well, where would be the good? I can sweep well enough when I please, but if I could do more than the best man as ever Mr. Dark paid a pound a week to, it wouldn't be a bit better for me. Not a bit, sir, I assure you. We all takes it easy whenever we can, but the work must be done. The only good about it is that you get outside the house. It's a change that way, certainly. But we work like horses, and is treated like asses. Note, on my reminding him that he had just told me that they all took it easy when they could, and that rather often, he replied, Well, don't horses? But it ain't much use talking, sir. It's only them as has been in workuses and in parish work as can understand all the ins and outs of it. In giving the above and the following statements, I have endeavoured to elicit the feelings of the several paupers whom I conversed with. Poor, ignorant or prejudiced men may easily be mistaken in their opinions or in what they may consider their facts, but if a clear exposition of their sentiments be obtained, it is a guide to the truth. I have therefore given the statement of the indoor paupers' opinions querulously as they were delivered, as I believe them to be the sentiments of those of his class, who, as he said, had any opinion at all. It seems indeed from all I could learn on the subject that pauper street work, even at the best, is unwilling and slovenly work, pauper workmen being the worst of all workmen. If the streets be swept clean, it is because a dozen paupers are put to the labour of eight, nine or ten regular scavengers, who are independent labourers and who may have some pride of art, or some desire to show their employers that they are to be depended upon. This feeling does not actuate the pauper workman, who thinks or knows that if he did evince a desire and a perseverance to please, it would avail him little beyond the sneers and ill-will of his mates, so that, even with a disposition to acquire the good opinion of the authorities, 
there is this obstacle in his way, and to most men who move in a circumscribed sphere, it is a serious obstacle. Of the second mode of pauper scavenging, namely that performed by outdoor paupers, and paid for partly in money and partly in kind, I heard from officials connected with pauper management very strong condemnation, as being full of mischievous and degrading tendencies. The payment to the outdoor pauper scavenger averages, as I have stated, ninepence a day to a single man, with perhaps a quartern loaf, and this in some cases is for only three days in the week, while to a married man with a family it varies between one shilling and a penny halfpenny to one shilling tuppence a day, with a quartern and sometimes two quartern loaves, and this likewise is occasionally from three to six days in the week. On this the single or family men must subsist, if they have no other means of earning an addition. The men thus employed are certainly not independent labourers, nor are they in the full sense of the word, as popularly understood, paupers, for their means of subsistence are partly the fruits of their toil, and although they are wretchedly dependent, they seem to feel that they have a sort of right to be set to work, as the law ordains such modicum of relief, in or out of the workhouse, as will only ward off death through hunger. This three days a week work is by the poor or pauper labourers looked upon as being, after the indoor pauper work, the worst sort of employment. From a married man employed by the parish under this mode I had the following account. He was an intelligent-looking man of about thirty-five, but with nothing very particular in his appearance, unless it were a head of very curly hair. He gave me the statement in his own room, which was larger than I have usually found such abodes, and would have been very bare, but that it was somewhat littered with the vessels of his trade, as a street-seller of nectar, Persian sherbet, raspberry aid, and other decoctions of coloured ginger beer, with high-sounding names and indifferent flavour. In the summer he said he could live better thereby, with a little costering, than by street-sweeping, but being often a sickly man, he could not do so during the uncertainties of a winter street trade. His wife, a decent-looking woman, was present occasionally, suckling one child, about two years old, for the poor often protract the weaning of their children, as the mother's nutriment is the cheapest of all food for the infant, and as the means of postponing the further increase of their family whilst another of five or six years of age sat on a bench by her side. There was nothing on the walls in the way of an ornament, as I have seen in some of the rooms of the poor, for the couple had once been in the workhouse, and might be driven there again, and with such apprehensions did not care perhaps to make a home otherwise than they found it, even if the consumption of only a little spare time were involved. The husband said, I was brought up as a type founder, my father, who was one, learnt me his trade, but he died when I was quite a young man, or I might have been better perfected in it. I was comfortably off enough then, and got married. Very soon after that I was taken ill with an abscess in my neck. You can see the mark of it still. Note, he showed me the mark. End note. For six months I wasn't able to do a thing, and I was a part of the time, I don't recollect how long, in St. Bartholomew's Hospital. I was weak and ill when I came out and hardly fit for work. I couldn't hear of any work I could get, for there was a great bother in the trade between master and men. Before I went into the hospital, there was money to pay for doctors, and when I came out, I could earn nothing, so everything went, yes, sir, everything. 
My wife made a little matter with charring for families she'd lived in, but things are in a bad way if a poor woman has to keep her husband. She was taken ill at last, and then there was nothing but the parish for us. I suffered a great deal before it come to that. It was awful. No one can know what it is but them that suffers it. But I didn't know what in the world to do. We lived then in St. Luke's, and were passed to our own parish, and were three months in the workhouse. The living was good enough, better then than it is now, I've heard, but I was miserable. And I was very miserable, interposed the wife, for I had been brought up comfortable. My father was a respectable tradesman in St. George's in the East, and I had been in good situations. We made ourselves, said the husband, as useful as we could, but we were parted, of course. At the three months' end, I had ten shillings given to me to come out with, and was told I might start costermongering on it. But to a man not up to the trade, ten shillings won't go very far to keep up costering. I didn't feel master enough of my own trade by this time to try for work at it, and work wasn't at all regular. There were good hands earning only twelve shillings a week. The ten shillings soon went, and I had again to apply for relief and got an order for the stone-yard to go and break stones. Ten bushels was to be broken for fifteen pence. It was dreadful hard work at first. My hands got all blistered and bloody, and I've gone home and cried with pain and wretchedness. At first it was on to three days before I could break the ten bushels. I felt shivered to bits all over my arms and shoulders, and my head was splitting. I then got to do it in two days, and then in one, and it grew easier. But all this time I had only what was reckoned three days' work in a week. That is, you see, sir, I had only three times ten bushels of stones given to break in the week, and earned only three shillings ninepence. Yes, I lived on it, and paid one shilling sixpence a week rent, for the neighbours took care of a few sticks for us, and a parish or a broker wouldn't have found them worth carriage. My wife was then in the country with a sister. I lived upon bread and dripping, went without fire or candle, or had one only very seldom, though it wasn't warm weather. I can safely say that for eight weeks I never tasted one bite of meat, and hardly a bite of butter. When I couldn't sleep of a night, but that wasn't often, it was terrible, very. I washed what bits of things I had then myself, and had sometimes to get a haperth of soap as a favour, as the chandler said she didn't make less than a penn'orth. If I eat too much dripping, it made me feel sick. I hardly know how much bread and dripping I eat in a week. I spent what money I had in it and bread, and sometimes went without. I was very weak, you may be sure, sir, and if I'd had the influenza or anything that way, I should have gone off like a shot, for I seemed to have no constitution left. But my wife came back again and got work at charring, and made about four shillings a week at it, but we were still very badly off. Then I got to work on the roads every day, and had a shilling and a quartern loaf a day, which was a rise. I had only one child then, but men with larger families got two quartern loaves a day. Single men got ninepence a day. It was far easier work than stone-breaking, too. The hours were from eight to five in winter, and from seven to six in summer. But there's always changes going on, and we were put on one shilling penny halfpenny a day, and a quartern loaf, and only three days a week. All the same as to time, of course. The bread wasn't good. It was only cheap. I suppose there was twenty of us working most of the time as I was. 
the gangsman as you call him, but that's more for the regular hands, was a servant of the parish, and a great tyrant. Yes, indeed, when we had a talk among ourselves, there was nothing but grumbling heard of. Some of the tales I've heard were shocking, worse than what I've gone through. Everybody was grumbling, except perhaps two men that had been twenty years in the streets, and were like born paupers. They didn't feel it, for there's a great difference in men. They knew no better. But anybody might have been frightened to hear some of the men talk and curse. We've stopped work to abuse the parish officers as might be passing. We've mobbed the overseers, and a number of us, I was one, were taken before the magistrate for it. But we told him how badly we were off, and he discharged us, and gave us orders into the workhouse, and told him to see if nothing could be done for us. We were there till next morning, and then sent away without anything being said. It's a sad life, sir, is the parish workers. I wish to God I could get out of it. But when a man has children, he can't stop and say, I can't do this, and I won't do that. Last week now, in costering, I lost six shillings. Note, he meant that his expenses of every kind exceeded his receipts by six shillings. End note. And though I can distill nectar, or anything that way, note, this was said somewhat laughingly, end note, it's only when the weather's hot and fine that any good at all can be done with it. I think, too, that there's not the money among the working men that there once was. Anything regular in the way of pay must always be looked at by a man with a family. Of course, the streets must be properly swept, and if I can sweep them as well as Mr. Dodd's men, for I know one of them very well, why should I have only three shillings, fourpence halfpenny a week, and three loaves, and he have sixteen shillings, I think it is? I don't drink. My wife knows I don't. Note, the wife assented. End note. And it seems as if, in a parish, a man must be kept down when he is down, and then blamed for it. I may not understand all about it, but it looks queer. From an unmarried man, looking like a mere boy in the face, although he assured me he was nearly twenty-four, as far as he knew, I heard an account of his labour and its fruits as a parish scavenger, also of his former career, which partakes greatly in its characteristics of the narratives I gave, towards the close of the first volume, of deserted, neglected, and runaway children. He lived from his earliest recollection with an old woman whom he first called grandmother, and was then bid to call aunt, and she, some of the neighbours told him, had kept him out of his rights, for she had four shillings a week with him, so that there ought to have been money coming to him when he grew up. I have sometimes heard similar statements from the ignorant poor, for it is agreeable enough for them to fancy that they have been wronged out of fortunes to which they were justly entitled, and deprived of position and consequence in life which they ought to have possessed by rights. In the course of my inquiries among the poor women who supply the slop milliner's shops with widows' caps, cap fronts, women's collars, and so on and so on, I was told by one middle-aged cap-maker, a very silly person, that she would be worth one hundred thousand pounds if she had her rights. What those rights were she could not explain, only that there was, and had been, a great deal of money in the family, and of course she had a right to her share, only she was kept out of it. The youth in question never heard of a father, and had been informed that his mother had died when he was a baby. From what he told me, I think it most probable that he was an illegitimate child, 
for whose maintenance his father possibly paid the four shillings a week, perhaps to some near relative of the deceased mother. The old woman, as well as I could make the matter out from his narrative, died suddenly, and, as little was known about her, she was buried by the parish, and the lad, on the evening of the funeral, was to have been taken by the landlord of the house where they lodged, into the workhouse. But the boy ran away before this could be accomplished, the parish of course not objecting to be relieved of an encumbrance. He thought he was then about twelve or thirteen years of age, and he had before run away from two schools, one a ragged school to which he had been sent, for it was so confining, he said, and one master, not he as had the raggeds, leathered him, to use his own words, tightly. He knew his letters now, he thought, but that was all, and very few, he said gravely, would have put up with it so long as I did. He subsisted as well as he could by selling matches, penny memorandum books, onions, and so on, after he had run away, sleeping under hedges in the country, or in lodging-houses in town, and living on a few pence a day, or starving on nothing. He was taken ill, and believed it was of a fever, at or somewhere about Portsmouth, and when he was sufficiently recovered, and had given the best account he could of himself, was passed to his parish in London. The relieving officer, he said, would have given him a pair of shoes and half a crown, and let him take his chance, but the doctor wouldn't certify any ways. He meant, I think, that the medical officer found him too ill to be at large on his own account. He discharged himself, however, in a few weeks from the parish workhouse, as he was convalescent. The grub there, you see, sir, he said, was stunning good when I first went, but it fell off. As the probability is that there was no change in the diet, it may not be unfair to conclude that the regular meals of the establishment were very relishable at first and that afterwards their very regularity and their little variation made the recipient critical. "'When I left, sir,' he stated, "'they gave me two shillings sixpence, and a tidy shirt, and a pair of blutcherers, and mended up my togs for me decent. I tried all sorts of goes then. I went to Chalk Farm and some other fairs with sticks for throwing, and used to jump among them as throwing was going on, and to sing out, "'Break my legs and miss my pegs!' I got many a knock, and when I did, oh, there was such laughing at the fun on it. <sighs> I sold garden sticks too, and garden ropes, and posts sometimes, but it was all very poor pay. Sometimes I made tenpence, but not never, I think, but twice, one shilling a day at it, and oftener sixpence, and in bad weather there was nothing to be done. If I made sixpence clear, it was a penny for coffee, for I often went out fasting in a morning and a penny for bread and butter, and a penny for pudding for dinner, and another penny perhaps for beer, half-pint and a farden out at the public bar, and tuppence for a night's lodging. I've had sometimes to leave half my stock in flue with a deputy for a night's rest. Oh, I didn't much mind the bugs, so I could rest, and next day had to take my things out if I could, and pay a hexter halfpenny or penny for interest like. Yes, I've made eighteenpence a evening at a fair, but there's so many a-going it there, that one ruins another, and wet weather ruins the whole biling, the pavilion, theatres and all. I never was a hector, never, but I've thought sometimes I'd like to try my hand at it. I may some day, cause I'm tall. I was forced to go to the parish again, for I got ill and dreadful weak, and then they gave me work on the roads. I can't just say how long it's since, 
two or three year perhaps, but I had ninepence a day at first, and regular work, and then three days and three loaves a week, and then three days and no loaves. I haven't been at it wery lately. I'd rather take the summer out of myself, but I must go back soon, for cold weather's a-coming. Why, I lived a good deal on carrying trunks from the buses to Euston Railway. A good many buses stops in the new road, in the middle of the square. Some was foreigners, and they was wery scaly. No, I never said nothing but once when I got two French halfpennies for carrying a heavy old leather thing, like a coach-box, as seemed to belong to a family. And then the railway bobbies made me hold my tongue. I jobbed about in other places, too, but the time's gone by now. Oh, I had a deal to put up with last winter. What is ninepence a day for three days? And if poor men had their rights, times would be different. I'd like to know where all the money goes. I never counted how many parish sweepers there was, too many by arf. I've a right to work, and it's as little as a parish can do to find it. I pay a shilling a week for half a bed, and not half enough bedclothes. But me and Jack Smith sometimes sleeps in our clothes, and sometimes spreads em on top. No, poor Jack, he hasn't no hold on a parish. He's a mudlark and a gatherer. Note, bone grubber. End note. Do I like the overseers and the parish officers? Of course not. Nobody does. Why don't they? Well, how can they? That's just where it is. Then I haven't been at sweeping. I've stayed in bed as long as I was let. But Mother B, I don't know no other name she has, wouldn't stand it after ten. Oh, no, it weren't a common lodging-house. A sort of private lodging-house, perhaps, where you took by the week. If I made nothing but my ninepence, I lived on bread and coffee, or bread and coker, and sometimes a red herring. And I've bought them in the brill at five and six a penny. Mother B charged a halfpenny for leave to toast them on our gridiron. She is a scaly old blank. I've off spent all my money in a tripe supper at night, and fasted all next day. I used to walk about, and look in at the cook-shop windows, and try for a job next day. I'd have gone five miles for anybody for a penn'orth of puddin'. No, I never thought of making away with myself, never. Nor I never thought of going for a soldier. It wouldn't suit me to be tied so. What I want is this here, regular work and no jaw. Oh, I'm sometimes as miserable as hunger will make a person, if ever he felt it. Yes, I go to church sometimes when I'm at work for the parish, if I'm at all togged. No doubt I shall die in the workus. You see, there's nobody in the world cares for me. I can't tell just how I spend my money, just as it comes into my head. No, I don't care about drinking. It don't agree with me. But there's some can live on it. I don't think as I shall ever marry, though who knows? The third and last system of parish work is where the labour is employed regularly and paid a fixed wage out of the parochial fund, certainly, but not in the same manner as the paupers are paid nor with any payment in kind, as in loaves, but all in money. The payment in this wise is usually one shilling sixpence a day, and but for such employment the poor so employed would in most instances apply for relief. In one parish where the poor are regularly employed in street sweeping and paid a regular wage in money, the whole scavenging work is done by the paupers, as they are usually termed, though they are not on the rate. By them the streets are swept and the houses dusted, the granite broken for macadamisation, and the streets and roads repaved or repaired. This is done by about fifty men, 
the labour in the different departments I have specified being about equally apportioned as to the number employed in each. The work is executed without any direct intervention of the parish officers employed in administering relief to the poor, but through the agency of a board. All the men, however, are the poor of the parish, and but for this employment would or might claim relief, or demand admittance with their families into the workhouse. The system, therefore, is one of indirect pauper labour. Nearly all the men have been unskilled labourers, the exception being now and then a few operatives in such handicrafts as were suffering from the dearth of employment. Some of the artisans, I was informed, would be earning their nine shillings in the stone-yard one week, and the next getting thirty shillings at their business. The men thus labouring for the parish are about three-fifths Irishmen, a fifth Welshmen, or rather more than a fifth, and the remainder Englishmen. There is not a single Scotchman among them. There is no difference, in the parish I allude to, between the wages of married and single men, but men with families are usually preferred among the applicants for such work. They all reside in their own rooms, or sometimes in lodging-houses, but this rests with themselves. I had the following account from a heavy and healthy-looking middle-aged man, dressed in a jacket and trousers of coarse corduroy. There is so little distinctive about it, however, that I will not consume space in presenting it in the narrative form in which I noted it down. It may suffice that the man seemed to have little recollection as to the past, and less care as to the future. His life, from all I could learn from him, had been spent in what may be called menial labour, as the servant not of an individual, but of a parish. But there was nothing he knew of that he had to thank anybody for, parish or any one. They wanted him, and he wanted them. On my asking him if he had never tried to better himself, he said that he had once as a navvy, but a blow in the head and eye from a portion of rock shivered by his pickaxe, disabled him for a while, and he left railway work. He went to church, as was expected of him, and he and his wife liked it. He had forgotten how to read, but never was a dab at it, and so didn't know nothing about the litany or the psalms. He couldn't say as he knew any difference between the Church of England and the Roman Catholic churchgoers, cause the one was a English and the t'other a Irish religion, and he wasn't to be expected to understand Irish religion. He saw no necessity to put by money, this he said hesitatingly, supposing he could. What was his parish for? And he would take care he didn't lose his settlement. If he'd ever had such a chance as some had, he might have saved money, but he never had. He had no family, and his wife earned about four shillings a week, but not every week, in a wool warehouse, and they did middling. The above, then, are the modes in which paupers, or imminent paupers, so to speak, are employed, and in one way or other are paid for their labour, or what is called paid, and who, although parish menials, still reside in their own abodes, with the opportunity, such as it is, of looking out for better employment. As to the moral qualities of the street-sweeping paupers, I do not know that they differ from those of paupers generally. All men who feel themselves sunk into compulsory labour and a degraded condition are dissatisfied and eager to throw the blame of their degradation from their own shoulders. But it is evident that these men are unwilling workers, because their work is deprived of its just reward. 
and although I did not hear of any difficulty being experienced in getting them to work, I was assured by many who knew them well that they do not go about it with any alertness. Did anyone ever hear a pauper whistle or sing at his street work? I believe that every experienced vestryman will agree to the truth of the statement that it is very rarely a confirmed pauper rises from his degradation. His thoughts and aspirations seem bounded by the workhouse and the parish. The reason appears to be because the workhouse authorities seek rather to degrade than to elevate the man, resorting to every means of shaming the pauper, until at last he becomes so utterly callous to the disgrace of pauperism that he does not care to alter his position. The system, too, adopted by the parish authorities of not paying for work, or paying less than the ordinary prices of the trade, causes the pauper labourers to be unwilling workers, and finding that industry brings no reward, or less than its fair reward, to them, they get to hate all work, and to grow up habitual burdens on the state. Crabbe the poet, who in all questions of borough and parish life is an authority, makes his workhouse boy, Dick Mundy, who when a boy got more kicks than halfpence, die Sir Richard Mundy of Mundy Place. But this is a flight on the wings of poetical license. Certainly not impossible, and that is all which can be said for its likelihood. The following remarks on the payment of the parish street sweepers are from one of Mr. Cochrane's publications. Quote, the council considers it a duty to the poor to touch upon the niggardly manner in which parish scavengers are generally paid, and the deplorable and emaciated condition which they usually present, with regard to their clothing and personal appearance. One contractor pays sixteen shillings sixpence per week, two pay sixteen shillings, twelve, including a highway board, pay fifteen shillings each, one pays fourteen shillings sixpence, two pay fourteen shillings and one pays so low as twelve shillings. On the other hand, five parish boards of guardians of the poor pay only nine shillings each to their miserable mudlarks. One pays eight shillings, another seven shillings fivepence, a third seven shillings. A fourth compensates its labourers, in the British metropolis, where rent and living are necessarily higher than elsewhere, with five shillings eightpence per week whilst a fifth pays three men fifteen shillings each, twelve men ten shillings each, and six men seven shillings sixpence each, for exactly the same kind of work. But what renders this mean torture of men, because they happen to be poor, absurd as well as cruel, are the anomalous facts that while the guardians of one parish pay five men seven shillings each, the contractor for another part of the same parish pays his four men fourteen shillings each, and whilst the guardians of a second parish pay only five shillings eightpence, the highway board pays fifteen shillings to each of its labourers for performing exactly the same work in the same district. Mr. Dark, scavenging contractor of Paddington, lately stated that he never had and never would employ any man at less than sixteen shillings or eighteen shillings per week, and Mr. Sinnott of Belvedere Road, Lambeth, about three months since, offered to certain West End guardians to take forty paupers out of their own workhouse to cleanse their own parish on the street orderly system and to pay them fifteen shillings per week each man. Note, to the honourable conduct of the above-named contractors to their men, I am glad to be able to bear witness. 
all the men speak in the highest terms of them. End note. But the economical guardians preferred filth and a full workhouse to cleanliness, Christian charity and common sense, and so the proposal of this considerate contractor was rejected. It is certainly far from being creditable to boards of gentlemen and wealthy tradesmen who manage parish affairs to pay a little more than one half the wages that an individual does to poor labourers who cannot choose their employment or their masters. The broken-down tradesman, the journeyman deprived of his usual work by panic or by poverty of the times, the ingenious mechanic, or the unsuccessful artist, applies at the parish labour market for leave to live by other labour than that which hitherto maintained him in comfort. The usual language of such persons, even when applying for private alms or parochial relief, is not that they want money, but that they have long been out of work, that their particular trade has been overstocked with apprentices or superseded by machinery, or that their late employer has become bankrupt or has discharged the majority of his hands from the badness of the times. To a man of this class, the guardian of the poor replies, we will test your willingness to labour by employing you in the stone-yard or to sweep the streets, but the parish being heavily burdened with rates, we cannot afford more than seven shillings or eight shillings a week. The poor creature, conscious of his own helplessness, accepts the miserable pittance in order to preserve himself and family from immediate starvation. The council has taken much pains to ascertain the wages and mode of expenditure of them by this uncared-for and almost pariah class of labourers throughout the metropolitan parishes, and it possesses undeniable proofs that few possess any further garment than the rags upon their backs, some being even without a change of linen, that they never enter a place of worship on account of their want of decent clothing, that their wives and children are starved and in rags, and the latter without the least education, that they never by any chance taste fresh animal food, that one-third of their hard earnings is paid for rent, and that their only sustenance, unless their wives happen to go out washing or charring, consists of bread, potatoes, coarse tea without milk or sugar, a salt herring two or three times a week, and a slice of rusty bacon on Sunday morning. The meal called dinner they never know, their only refection being breakfast and tea. Beer they do not taste from year's end to year's end, and any other luxury, or even necessary, is out of the question. Of the twenty-one scavengers employed by St. James's Parish in 1850, no less than sixteen, says Mr. Cochrane's report, were married, with from one to four children each. How the poor creatures who receive but seven shillings sixpence a week support their families is best known to themselves. End quote. Let me now, in conclusion, endeavour to arrive at a rough estimate as to the sum of which the pauper labourers annually are mulked by the before-mentioned rates of remuneration, estimating their labour at the market value or amount paid by the honourable contractors, namely sixteen shillings a week. For if private individuals can afford to pay that wage and yet reap a profit out of the transaction, the guardians of the poor surely could and should pay the same prices and not avail themselves of starving men's necessities to reduce the wages of a trade to the very quick of subsistence. If it be a sound principle that the condition of the pauper should be rendered less desirable than that of the labourer, 
assuredly the principle is equally sound that the condition of the labourer should be made more desirable than that of the pauper. For if to pamper the pauper be to make indolence more agreeable than industry, certainly to grind down the wages of the labourer is to render industry as unprofitable as indolence. In either case, the same premium is proffered to pauperism. As yet, the poor law commissioners have seen but one way of reducing the poor rates, namely by rendering the state of the pauper as unenviable as possible, and they have wholly lost sight of the other mode of attaining the same end, namely by making the state of the labourer as desirable as possible. To institute a terrible poor law without maintaining an attractive form of industry is to hold out a boon to crime. If the wages of the working man are to be reduced to bare subsistence, and the condition of the pauper is to be rendered worse than that of the working man, what atrocities will not be committed upon the poor? Elevate the condition of the labourer, and there will be no necessity to depress the pauper. Make work more attractive by increasing the reward for it, and laziness will necessarily become more repulsive. As it is, however, the pauper is not only kept at the very lowest point of subsistence, but his half-starved labour is brought into competition with that of men living in a comparative state of comfort, and the result, of course, is that instead of decreasing the number of paupers or poor rates, we make paupers of our labourers and fill our workhouses by such means. If a scavenger's labour be worth from twelve shillings to fifteen shillings per week in the market, what moral right have the guardians of the poor to pay five shillings eightpence for the same commodity? If the paupers are set to do work which is fairly worth fifteen shillings, then to pay them little more than one-third of the regular value is not only to make unwilling workers of the paupers, but to drag down all the better workmen to the level of the worst. It may be estimated that the outlay on pauper labour as a whole after deducting the sum paid to superintendents and gangers, does not exceed ten shillings weekly per individual. Consequently, the lowering of the price of labour is in this ratio. There are now, in round numbers, 450 pauper scavengers in the metropolis, and the account stands thus. 450 scavengers at the regular weekly wages of 16 shillings each, £18,720 yearly. 450 pauper labourers, 10 shillings each weekly, £11,700 yearly. Lower price of pauper work, £7,020. Hence we see that the great scurf employers of the scavengers, after all, are the guardians of the poor, compared with whom the most grasping contractor is a model of liberality. That the minimum of remuneration paid by the parishes has tended and is tending more and more to the general depreciation of wages in the scavenging trade, there is no doubt. It has done so directly and indirectly. One man who had been a last maker told me that he left his employment as a London scavenger, for he had come down to the parish and set off at the close of the summer into Kent for the harvest and hopping, for when in the country he had been more used to agricultural labour than to last, clog, or pattern-making. He considered that he had not been successful. Still, he returned to London a richer man by twenty-six shillings and sixpence. 
nearly twenty shillings of this soon went for shoes and necessary clothing, and to pay some arrears of rent and a chandler's bill he owed, after which he could be trusted again where he was known. He applied to the foreman of a contractor whom he knew for work. What wage? said the foreman. Fifteen shillings a week, was the reply. Why, what did you get from the parish for sweeping? Nine shillings. Well, said the foreman, I know you're a decent man, and you were recommended before, and so I can give you four or five days a week, at two shillings fourpence a day, and no nonsense about hours, for you know yourself I can get fifty men as have been parish workers at one shilling ninepence a day, and jump at it, and so you mustn't be cheeky. The man closed with the offer, knowing that the foreman spoke the truth. A contractor told me that he could obtain plenty of hands, used to parish scavenging work, at ten shillings sixpence to twelve shillings a week, whereas he paid sixteen shillings. It is evident, then, that the system of pauper work in scavenging has created an increasing market for cheap and deteriorated labour, a market including hundreds of the unemployed at other unskilled labours, and it is hardly to be doubted that the many who have faith in the doctrine that it is the best policy to buy in the cheapest and sell in the dearest market, will avail themselves of the low-priced labour of this pauper-constituted mart. It is but right to add that those parishes which pay fifteen shillings a week are as worthy of commendation as those which pay nine shillings, seven shillings sixpence, and seven shillings per week, and one shilling fourpence, and one shilling a penny halfpenny a day, are reprehensible and unfortunately the latter have a tendency to regulate all the others. End of section 48